I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. It has been a very hard year for the Catholic Church and for all of us as Catholics in the wake of the priestly abuse crisis, the sexual abuse crisis, as we've seen one layer after another after another, the scandal unfold and all the cover-ups. And uh, many of us feel very shaken in this year. And we all have family and friends I know who may be also really blue, very discouraged, and might be angry and bitter. Some of them may may leave. Some of them, it just gives them more firepower to be angry at the church and an excuse for having left the church. Whatever the case may be, I want to spend a little time revisiting all this here one year later. And I want to share with you some wonderful insights from a bishop who has done so much to talk about this, write about it, uh, and and give us much much encouragement. And he has written a brand new book uh, that just came out recently called A Letter to a Suffering Church, A Bishop Speaks on the Sexual Abuse Crisis. You know who it's from. It's from Bishop Robert Barron. I just got my copy of this book here in the last week. It's a quick read, a short read. I want to encourage you to get this book, uh, maybe share it with some of your friends and family. I'll put in the show notes how you can find this book. But I also know some of you are busy and you're not going to read this book right now, which is why I think it's so important. I want to I want to spend some time unpacking some of the great gems in the, this book, things that I think would be really helpful for us to encourage us in this difficult time, to give us a little guidance, and also maybe to, 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 to share with others about why why we're still Catholic and why we need to stay with the church. So I want to talk about that in today's episode. But first, I'm going to take a question from one of our listeners. So this is from Jessica. Jessica emailed me here this week. She says she listens to the podcast. She's also a reader of the Bible, and she noticed something in Scripture, and she's wondering if we can answer it. And the question is about the word blessing, that we know in the Bible many times we ask God to bless us, but what does it mean for us to bless God. What does it mean to bless God? We find that in the Old Testament, especially in many of the Psalms. Well, let's think about this. It's true. Like we ask God to bless us. So we, before we have a meal, we say, bless us, O Lord. And these, I guess, uh, we ask God to bless our marriage, to bless our family, to bless our work, to bless our country. God bless America. So we're asking God's blessing upon us. What does it mean? We ask his presence to be with us, his power to be with us, for him to help us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to make us fruitful. So we ask God to bless us. And we all get that. But what does it mean when the Psalms, for example, speak about man blessing God? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless his holy name. What does it mean to bless God? Are we trying to give God more strength and encouragement in life? Uh, God doesn't need our strength. He's completely omnipotent. He doesn't need our encouragement. He's perfectly happy and glorious all on his own. What does it mean then when the Bible speaks about blessing God? This is a great question, Jessica. Think of this as simply praising God. It's about praising him, adoring him, paying him homage. We, we love God and we're recognizing just how great our God is. Uh, so that's why we're, we're blessing him. But think of it this way. If God is the source of all blessing, you see, if he's the origin of of all blessing, then God is in the most blessed state. All blessings come from him. And so we're just acknowledging that he's the source of all blessing. He's perfectly blessed. And so when we're saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, we're not, we're not adding anything to God. We're just praising him. We're lovingly acknowledging how blessed he is. He's the one through whom all blessings flow. And so it's wonderful that we can do this. And so that's why some of the Psalms beautifully say things like this. 
All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Psalm 145, verse 10. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Psalm 103, verse 2. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Psalm 96, verses 2 through 3. One more. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great. Psalm 104, verse 1. That just There's just a few of many passages in the Old Testament where we... We speak about blessing God. So, great question, Jessica. I hope that's helpful for you. Let's all now turn back uh, to Bishop Barron's new book, and I want to draw out some of the, the key gems from this book. And I'm going to walk through and pull a couple key points from each chapter. Chapter 1, he talks about how this is the devil's masterpiece. That's the name of this ti- the, the title of chapter 1, the devil's masterpiece. He says, the storm of wickedness that we've seen, quote, is just too ingenious to have been the result of impersonal forces alone or merely human contrivance. It seems so thoroughly thought through, so comprehensively intentional. In other words, like all that just happened, I mean, all that's been happening for the last several decades, but all that we've seen unfold over the last 12 months, our worst enemies couldn't have come up with a better plan to bring shame and and such uh, paralysis within the Catholic Church and to, to make our witness so much less credible in the modern world. Uh, think about this. Pope, uh, or Bishop Barron says this, if the church had a personal enemy, and indeed the devil is known as the enemy of the human family, it is hard to imagine that he could have come up with a better plan. I think that's just important to keep in mind here. We have to keep a spiritual perspective on this. Uh, we can look at this just purely at a purely political level. We could, you know, just try to read the latest blogs and get into, you know, the the conspiracy theories all out there and spend a lot of time and energy and get stressed out by all these things. Let's just not forget, wherever you are and your read on what's happening in the church today, let's not forget who is the real enemy. The real enemy uh, isn't McCarrick. Uh, it, it isn't all of the, the, the priests who've done these horrible things. Ultimately, it is the devil, that there is an enemy that wants to destroy the Catholic Church, wants to destroy Christians, wants to destroy especially priestly witness. And and what, what a way to try to undermine the great gift of the priesthood and really hamper the, the, the hundreds, the thousands, the tens of thousands of amazing priests that are out there that are doing so much good for Jesus Christ and his church. Uh this is definitely a diabolical masterpiece, as Bishop Barron says, and that's why we. I think it's great. I know a number of dioceses are asking us to pray the Saint Michael prayer, uh, that that Michael will come and and fight off our enemy, and and let's pray with in Jesus's name uh, for the church uh, in this difficult time. In the chap in the next chapter, chapter two, Bishop Barron talks about how. We need to look at scripture. We can analyze the scandal on a sociological plane, psychologically. We can look at it culturally. We can look at it from a criminal justice perspective. So many different layers, and, and many people are doing that, and, and we can we can gain some insight from that. But we as Christians must always look at these things from the light of God's inspired word in the Bible. And what Bishop Aaron does is he's going to turn to a number of texts in scripture, a number of passages, especially in the Old Testament, that can shed light on just how how wicked, how evil things really have been uh, today. And he's not doing this to celebrate abuse of power and sexual sin in the Old Testament in any way. He's trying to highlight how God is not pleased with this. And this is a complete 
reversal of what God intended for human sexuality and the complete reversal of what God intended for those in leadership, especially spiritual leadership, priestly leadership. You see, the priest is meant to worship God, to sacrifice his life to worship God, and to lead others to worship God. When, when a priest in the Old Testament or the New today uses his authority to abuse, it's a, it's a complete inversion of his role as the humble servant of the Lord, leading people to worship God. A second thing he brings out is how the, the, the whole gift of human sexuality is meant to be a gift that's free and is faithful and fruitful and total. It's about, it's about total self-giving love. And yet when we have abuse, when someone like a child is abused sexually, it's the complete inversion of total self-giving. It's a complete reduction of the other person to a mere object of your body that's going to be abused or exploited for one's own sexual pleasure. So the gift of the priesthood, the gift of sexuality, completely turned upside down in the Old Testament, and, and God is not happy with that. Uh, and, 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 and that could shed light on the situation we're in today. So what are some of the examples? I, I think there's one in first Samuel chapter two and three that I really appreciated. Uh, he, he talks about a story you may not be as familiar with. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story. It's about the priest Eli in the old Testament. He had a number of sons. Eli was, was a good man. He loved God, but his sons were wayward. He did not discipline his children well, and his sons were sexually abusing women at the entry to the tabernacle, the very sanctuary, which is supposed to be the place to worship God. And here, his sons are, are sexually abusing women there. And they're supposed to be the priests. They're supposed to be offering sacrifices to God, leading the people in worship. And Eli hears about this from the people. The people are complaining about his abusive sons. And Eli's shocked. He's horrified. He's embarrassed. And, and, and he criticizes his sons. He complains to them about what they're doing but he doesn't punish them. He doesn't discipline them. And they end up persisting in their sin. That, my friends, is a great insight. And Bishop Barron, spot on for, for him to, to bring this point out. There are This, is, this actually is a, is a theme you find in the Old Testament. He focused on Eli, but just know many times you're going to see this in the Old Testament where there's a father in the home that recognizes his son is doing something wrong, but, and they complain about it a little bit. They mention it to him, but they don't discipline the child. They don't train the child. They don't punish the child. Uh, whether it's Samson's parents in, in, the, uh, in, in the Old Testament, uh, they see his son doing some bad things. They kind of are, are not happy with it, but they don't discipline him. Same thing, you'll see someone like David, the king, recognizes that one of his generals is doing something wrong, but he doesn't discipline him for it. And it's going to cause him great problems later in life. Whenever this happens... Whenever there's someone in spiritual leadership as a father, as a king, as a priest, whatever it might be, and they recognize that the people that they're supposed to be leading are doing something wrong and they don't challenge them, they don't lead them spiritually, it always comes back to bite them. And you see the narrative in the Old Testament brings us out that if you don't nip things in the bud, it's going to cause much bigger problems, not just for you as a leader, but for the whole people, for the kingdom, for the nation. And that's what happens here. Eli doesn't discipline his sons for their sexual abuse of the women at the tabernacle. And then what's going to happen? God's going to take the Ark of the Covenant away from the people. It's going to be sent off to the Philistines. It's going to be just shocking that the Israelites don't have their Ark of the Covenant. The Philistines captured it. Uh, horrible things happen when the spiritual leaders don't lead their flock and challenge those 
that need to be disciplined. A second story that uh, Bishop Barron brings up in the Old Testament comes from 2 Samuel 11. Uh, you've probably heard the story of David and Bathsheba. David commits adultery with Bathsheba. But here's here's the point that Bishop Barron brings out so beautifully that, again, it's a tragic story, though, uh, that David uses his position of authority, his position as the king, to lure Bathsheba to him, to lure this woman who is married to another man. To, he's, she's married to a man named Uriah. Uriah's a soldier, a faithful soldier, fighting Israel's battles. He's going off. Uh, he's away from home on, on the battlefield, fighting a battle for David. And yet David uses his authority to bring to get his men to go bring Bathsheba to him, and then he sleeps with her. And then he gets her pregnant. And then to cover up the sin, because he doesn't want Uriah to come home and go, hey, how come you're pregnant? I wasn't here. It wasn't from me. Where did this come from? He's worried that this will cause scandal and and, and it's going to be shame on him and his, his royal house. And so what does he do? He uses his authority to cover up his sin. He uses his authority to send Uriah off to the battlefield to be killed. Notice what David does. He uses his royal authority to lure Bathsheba to him to commit adultery. He uses his authority to cover up his sin. And David's judged for this. He's going to be punished for this by God. And so, once again, the Bible, there's some biblical precedent here, shows how angry God is when leaders don't lead the way they should, and especially when it ends up in some kind of sexual sin. One of my favorite sections in this chapter, though, is when Bishop Barron turns to the New Testament, and he turns to a passage in Matthew 18, uh, it's that story, you, the context is the story when the disciples are saying, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And they're, they're trying to, be, you know, pridefully, you know, jockey for positions of power in Christ's kingdom. And Jesus just turns it all upside down and says, look, whoever's humble like a little child, that's who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. And then he goes on to say in chapter 18, verse 5 of Matthew, whoever receives a child such as this in my name receives me. And Bishop Barron lingers on this point, the idea that to receive a child, in other words, to welcome a child, to care for a child, you could even think to protect a child, is to receive Jesus. There's a connection between Jesus and the little one, the little child. To receive a child is to receive Christ. So what's implied here is that whoever doesn't care for a child, who doesn't welcome a child, accept a child, who doesn't protect a child, to that extent, they're dropping a wedge between them and Jesus. They're rejecting Jesus himself. Jesus even goes on to say, whoever causes a child like this to sin, it would be better to have a millstone tied around his neck and drowned into the sea. So those are some biblical insights in chapter two from Bishop Barron's book. We're looking at his book, Letter to a Suffering Church, A Bishop Speaks of a Sexual Abuse Crisis. I'll again put uh, in the show notes some details on how you could find this book. Again, I think it's a great help. I want to share with you what he does, though, in chapter three. Chapter three is the chapter, I think, the average Catholic reader of this book is going to be the most surprised by. Uh, this is the chapter. It's called We've Been Here Before. And he's going to talk about like different times in church history where we faced great crises like this. Sometimes we could feel like, oh my goodness, the church is just completely falling apart. But I want you to know our ancestors, there have been times in, in different moments in history, history of the church where the, the people felt that way. They probably felt overwhelmed as well, wondering, oh my goodness, can we ever survive this? Bishop Barron reminds us of something very important. He starts off this chapter by quoting St. Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We hold this treasure in earthen vessels. What does this mean? You know, 
the treasure of the church is the life of Jesus. It's his grace. It's his spirit that dwells in our hearts. It's his gift of salvation. It's his gospel. It's it's the, his healing power that changes us and transforms us into saints. That is an amazing treasure. But Jesus gives us this treasure, not just like, kind of like parachuting down from heaven one by one. No, no. He gives it to us through earthen vessels, through the church, through the, the, the sacraments, through the teachings of the church and through very human institutions in the church, like the priesthood and the bishops, very human, very weak, fragile, broken earthen vessels. And yet the treasure of God has always worked through these broken, fragile vessels. Even in dark times, the the treasure was still going. Hearts were still being touched by the prayers of the saints, by the gift of Jesus' real presence in the Eucharist, his forgiving power in the sacrament of confession, the truth that the church teaches in its moral teaching. All of these great treasures were still communicated even in the dark times in the past. You know, if you think about it, from the very beginning of Jesus' life in his public ministry, he chose men that were far from perfect, had a lot of problems, and didn't get it right. And especially on, on Holy Thursday night and Good Friday, they all abandoned Jesus on, on Holy Thursday night in the Garden of Gethsemane. And only one follows Jesus to the cross. And Peter denies him three times. Judas betrays him. I mean, from the very get-go, these are very earthen vessels. And the treasure of Jesus was going to be passed on through these earthen vessels. These are the men he wants to use to bring the gospel to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. These are the men he wants to use to send out his treasure of life and truth and grace to all the nations. Very earthen vessels. And you could say, well, okay, but after Pentecost, it all got better. I know the apostles were all broken, but once they got the Holy Spirit, you know, they were, they just became saints in an instant. Well, that's not the case. There continued to be dissension, division, fighting within the church, even a little debating among the 12 apostles. You'd read about that in Acts chapter uh, 15. You could, you could read about uh, the, the rivalries in various Christian communities, the dissensions and oppositions, whether it's in Romans or 1 Corinthians. Just read 1 Corinthians. There's so much fighting and arrogance and divisions and different groups. It's a mess from the very beginning. Very, very messy. And yet there's great grace. There's lives being changed. And uh, there's there's truth being proclaimed. It's all wonderful. But there, there are also great sins in that Christian community there. St. Paul writes about 1 Corinthians 5.1 that, that those Christians there had an immorality they were tolerating in their community that was worse than even what the pagans would ever tolerate. There was a man in the Christian Corinthian community who was sleeping with his father's wife, and Paul is so repulsed by this. He says, look, the pagans don't even do this, and you Christians are allowing, you're tolerating this this wicked sin in your Christian community? Uh, so there, there's drunkenness, there's idolatry, there's orgies in the Galatian community. You read about that in Galatians chapter 5. So lots of sins, even from the very first century of, of Christianity. And yet amazing heroes, amazing saints, amazing lives being changed. And these dark spots in the church never never uh, uh, overshadow the darkness, uh, the, the light of Christ. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. So uh, Bishop Aaron talks about uh, how it's not just the first century, but he says, you know, as the church progresses in history, so many great popes, so many great saints, so many great priests and bishops. Let's just think about popes for a moment. 
how many great popes there have been, whether it's been Pope Leo the Great, Pope Gregory the Great, a man who was wealthy and gave up his wealth, served the poor, served the poor even as pope, and but had poor people come sitting at his table. This is a man dedicated to the poor, dedicated to the love of Jesus. So many great popes in our recent time. Think about St. Pope John Paul II. Think of uh, Paul VI, these great holy men recently recognized in our church as saintly men. What wonderful gifts we have in so many popes. And yet, in our history, we have some tragic popes as well. Really dark times, like John Twelfth in the 10th century. Uh, John Twelfth excommunicated his enemies, people who were accusing him of sin, and instead of listening to them and having a heart of repentance, what does he do? He excommunicates these people, and then he cuts off the hand of one of them, he cuts off the nose and ear of another, and he, he scourges another. I mean, you listen to that and says, oh my goodness, this is horrible. And, and Bishop Barron tells that story, and he tells of, of other popes, again, not to get us to be scandalized or not in any way to excuse what's happening. No, he just wants to show us that while there have been many great heroes and saints in our history, there's also been moments of great darkness like we're facing now. He talks about Pope Benedict XI in the 11th century, who was accused of rape and murder and bribery and adul- adultery and sodomy. He, he talks about Alexander VI in the 15th, late 15th century. He had a mistress, 10 children, and two of them were even born when he was pope. Uh, in the early 16th century, uh, another another scandalous leader in the church, Leo X. So, and those are just the popes. We could go, if you went and looked at bishops, you went and looked at the lines of, of priests, you could probably dig up a lot more, right? Again, so many of the leaders in our church throughout history have been very saintly, heroic men. But yet there's been these moments where there's been wicked rulers, people who've done great harm, people who've even committed sexual abuse in the past. And the treasure of Jesus was still communicated through these earthen vessels. And that treasure, the life of the Spirit in the church, brought about renewal pointed out the sins of those leaders and brought change. Uh, I want to talk about one of those great figures of change, and this is a great saint for our time. We should ask the intercession of St. Peter Damien. Uh, Bishop Barron talks about St. Peter Damien in his book here. Uh, St. Peter Damien writing in the middle of the 11th century. Uh, talk to, listen to what he says. It's very, I mean, it's just strikingly so similar to what we're facing today. So to give you a sense, again, you might be thinking this is the worst the church has ever been, and it very well may be the worst ever. What we're seeing today may be the worst ever, and yet there were really, really bad things that happened before, and God raised up saints to bring about renewal. St. Peter Damien is one of them. Look at how St. Peter Damien challenged the church. He said, the cancer of sodomy is in fact spreading so through the clergy or like a savage beast is raging with such shameless abandon through the flock of Christ. So we've seen sodomy in in, in the priesthood in our time. It was there in Peter Damien's time. And Peter Damien helped bring about renewal. What will you do? Uh, He goes on and he talks about how there were uh, priests that were predators. They were preying on younger boys. And he challenged the leaders of the day, those that were in charge of the priests who were doing bad things, whether it's a superior in a, in a religious community or a bishop, he challenged them. Listen to what he says. Listen, you do nothing superiors of clerics and priests. Listen, and even though you feel sure of yourselves, tremble at the thought that you are partners in the guilt of others. Those, I mean, who wink at the sins of their subjects that need correction 
and who by ill-considered silence allow them license to sin. Wow, he's just calling out certain church leaders in his day who permitted these clerics to continue in their sexual abuse and sexual sin uh, and, and, and didn't, didn't discipline them, like Eli failed to discipline his spiritual children. You know, in, in our day and age, you know, we really need to pray for our bishops. There are so many good bishops. I'm, I'm blessed to be friends with a number of them, and, and they need our prayers. They need our encouragement right now. So many of them were not involved in any way in all of this. They certainly didn't cover up anyone. They weren't complicit with this. So many bishops were so good, and they're trying to do their best right now. But if Peter Damien were alive today, there'd be some leaders in our church, I'm sure, that he would challenge as well. Uh, Leaders from the past, maybe some leaders in the present. Whatever the case may be, let's ask St. Peter Damien for guidance for our bishops and for our church today, that St. Peter Damien, through his intercession, may raise up new, new leaders uh, lay leaders, church leaders that can help bring about reform and, and renewal in our church, just like in his own time. Chapter four, really quick, I'm going to wrap this up here. He asks, why should we stay? We have to remember it's about the treasure. It's The treasure is in the earthen vessels. The gift of Jesus, his grace, his Eucharist is given to us through broken earthly vessels. Uh, even though the vessels are broken, the treasure remains. Bishop Barron says, quote, we don't stay because of the vessels but because of the treasure. Let's never forget that. And he goes on, he says, what are these treasures of the church? What are these great things in the church? You know, I I love, you know, just the gift of the Eucharist. If you have a friend that's thinking of leaving the church, where are they going to go? They're not going to get Jesus in the blessed sacrament. Could you really leave the body and blood of Jesus? That treasure still comes through the church today, through the earthen vessels. Could, could you live life without the great sacrament of reconciliation and the healing power that comes from confession? How about the fact that the church stands up for God and, and, and talks about moral truth in this crazy relativistic culture in which we live? What about all the wonderful saints that we have? You know, I, I would look at it this way. If I had to sum up, so I'm, I, I was just paraphrasing some points from Bishop Barron, but if I had to package this section myself, I would probably just turn to Matthew 28 and just point out how Jesus still works through his mystical body, the church today. Jesus is active. He's alive he, you know, through the church in two main ways. And the, from the Great Commission of Matthew 28, Jesus told the apostles, go out and teach all nations all that I've taught you and baptize them all. So go teach and baptize. So it's the teachings of the church and it's the sacraments, baptism, Eucharist, confirmation, reconciliation, these great gifts, these two gifts are, are, are so important. These are the treasures of the church. I need the moral compass for my life. I need to know the truth. If we don't have the church speaking truth and talking about God, talking about Jesus in our secular age, the next generation is not going to have a North Star to guide them. We need the church to proclaim truth. We need to stand with the church to proclaim truth. And we need the sacraments. I think those are powerful. Let's conclude with the last chapter. And this is, my, this is probably my favorite part here. He talks about the way forward. What do we do? And he reminds us of our past in times of great crisis when Rome was falling apart in decadence. There was a man that dared to step out of the mainstream of the the culture of his day and go live a different kind of life. His name was Benedict. And so you picture Benedict going off and living on his own and other men want to live his life because they're tasting the emptiness of the decadent Roman uh, lifestyle 
and they save West, they save Europe, they transform Europe and they build monasteries all around Europe. It's incredible what Benedict did in a short period of time. In the next generation after Benedict, how many monasteries were spread throughout Europe already? So what, it, what that gives us hope that as dark as things are now, it, it might just take one Benedict, one very holy, saintly man to step out and dare to build something new. Same thing in the in the 12th century, you have a corrupt church. Many clergy are marked by laxity and worldliness and corruption. And yet another man steps out by the name of Francis. And within just a few decades, that the, the movement of Franciscans establishes itself as a massive force in bringing renewal all over the Western world. So again, dark times, and yet it took just one man one very holy, saintly man to step forward. Uh, think about the Protestant Reformation, just how horrible. If you lived through the Protestant Reformation, you just saw the church be torn apart in Europe and thousands, of, millions of people leaving the Catholic Church and going for these other Protestant denominations, you, you, you'd be so discouraged. And yet, God raised up in that period a man named Ignatius of Loyola, who forms the Jesuit order that sends missionaries all over Europe and all over the world uh, and bringing many, many new souls into Christ's church. So over and over again, God raises up new people to bring about renewal. Bishop Aaron concludes saying, I believe that our time calls for renewal movements that will involve both priests and laity. So he's envisioning, you know, there'll be some kind of new Benedict, some kind of new Mother Teresa, new Francis, new Ignatius that's going to come forward. And he says, you know, who knows what that movement's going to be, but it'll be both priests and laity. Laity are going to probably be involved with this. He says, maybe it's a group like Communion and Liberation. Maybe it's a group like Opus Dei or Curcio. But here's my favorite part. He mentions maybe it'll be a group like the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. (laughs) So whatever the case may be, I pray we all just play our part. Let's all play our part. Stay with the church. Where else are we going to go to get the truth and to receive Jesus in the Eucharist and the graces of the sacrament? Let's stay with Holy Mother Church. Even though it's a very earthen vessel, she needs us more than ever before. But also, let's pray that God raises up a new Benedict, a new Francis, a new Ignatius. Let's do our part as laity uh, to do this as well. Well, I, I hope you enjoy this uh, this walk through a letter to a suffering church. A bishop speaks on the sexual abuse crisis. If you have any questions on this, you can reach out to me at info.edwardsri at gmail.com. That's info.edwardsri at gmail.com. Or you can find me, of course, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or on my website, edwardsri.com. Thanks so much for listening. And one last thing I want to really encourage you to do here is we're going to be making some upgrades on the podcast as we move forward into this next academic year. Uh, Later in the fall, I'll tell you more about that soon. But one of the things I'm going to be doing is wanting to get some extra feedback from our listeners. And I want to encourage you, if you sign up for my newsletter, I will be having a little survey that I'm going to put together on my newsletter for for, uh, later this month. But if you go to my website, you can just go right to my website, everywhere.com, sign up for that newsletter, and then you'll be able to speak into some of the the new things we're going to be doing on the podcast coming forward later this fall. I'm excited to be able to tell you about that soon. Thanks so much, my friends, and God bless.